Amen. Amen. Have a seat, grab a Bible if you have one. If you do not have a Bible, lift up your hand and uh, one of my beautiful assistants will get you on. Happy New Year to everybody. Kobe, right up here in the front. Man, I am excited to be back with you. I uh, have really, really enjoyed um, the opportunity over the course of the last month to have some of the faithful uh, men of our church share God's word, and I think they've done a fantastic job, and I think that um, it's, a, it's a wonderful gift to our church to have so many people who, who are capable in the scriptures and the gifted teachers, and, and I've never wanted this to be about me or my teaching, and, uh, and so as we celebrated these men uh, sharing God's word in December, I also enjoyed the rest. I, uh, I am going to do my best to not try to make up for all the lost preaching time by preaching an extra long sermon today, and so you'll be glad to hear that. Uh, open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We'll be in Colossians chapter 1 as we begin a new series. This series is going to uh, run through January, and it's going to be called First Place. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, First Place. If you have one of the Bibles we passed out, it's on page 983. Maybe you're new to the Bible and need some help getting there. I don't know what will happen for you this year, but I think that I know that every one of you want to have a good year. Raise your hand if you want to have a good year in 2015. Travis, you don't want to have a good year in 2015? Come on, bro. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. All right. So um, it's it's the new year is always a great time to start some new ways and to quit some old ways. There's something about the newness of the year that it motivates us a little more. And I believe that today is an exceptionally good day to start some new ways and to quit some old ways. Now, living in ways that you were not created to live um, can keep you from the life that God has offered you. Understanding just the basic things about making good decisions in life um, uh, is not always difficult. It's not difficult to understand, but it can be difficult to do. Reminds me of the story I read in the news this week of something that happened at Daytona Beach or Daytona State College in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, it seems that uh, this, this distress call went out from a closet in one of the buildings, a janitor's closet in one of the buildings. So the police rushed to the aid of the person who put out the distress call, found two people inside this closet. They'd been there for two days, unable to get out of the closet. They couldn't understand how to open the door. And what is really strange about the story is that when the officer got there, the door was unlocked. They sat in his closet for two days, feeling like they couldn't get out, but the door was unlocked. So for them, knowing what to do, they couldn't understand. Now, there were some drug involved. There's drugs involved, and so maybe that's part of the story that, that helps us understand what's exactly going on there. But when we understand what we need to do, that's not always difficult. But doing what we understand to be right and we should do, now that can be difficult. Well, what I hope to do in this month is give you maybe a reminder or maybe some new understanding 
on what should be first place in your life. And I believe that if you understand it, and with the help of the community that we're in, the the family that is our church, that we can help one another do some of these things. And ultimately what will happen is that you and I will have a great year. We'll have an awesome year. It might even be the best year ever. So this series will run through January. But today what I really want you to understand, here's the main idea I want you to get. For you to really live the kind of life God offers in 2015, Jesus Christ must be first place in your heart. It's not difficult to understand that. For you to live the life that God offers you, Jesus Christ must be first place in your heart. Well, that's a... That's a really profoundly important thing to think about. For me to suggest that something should be first place in your heart is a big deal. So maybe it begs the question, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is a great person. It really is. Jesus is a great person. Many people of different faiths throughout history believe this to be true. And even people who do not believe the Bible is God's inspired word believe that Jesus is a great person. It's not hard to understand. People like Jesus. Um, One of his first miracles, or his first miracle that's recorded in the Bible, he showed up to a party and he was concerned about everybody having a good time. So his first miracle recorded in John chapter 2 was to provide some needed wine at the party. And what it did was it saved his mom from embarrassment of the party failing. She was responsible for throwing the party for this neighborhood. And it also helped people stay around. And, and likely at this party, Jesus was there making sure everybody was having a good time. People stayed dancing and singing and celebrating. I mean, who couldn't like a guy like that, right? He, he's a great guy. Jesus was a great person. He was also the kind of guy who had a special place in his heart for the kinds of people that uh, many others avoided or ignored or treated poorly. Some of my favorite stories in the Bible are those in the Gospels where we see Jesus touching the lepers. The lepers were those with an incurable disease at the time. It was an incurable disease that not only hurt them physically, but it ostracized them from the community, the larger community. They were sent outside of the community. Well, when Jesus healed them by touching them, it is significant. It's hard not to like a guy like that, right? For many of these lepers, I believe that it's, That touch of Jesus was the first touch that they'd experienced in a long time. Nobody wanted to touch a leper. Jesus was a great guy. He was a bro. He was was like the popular guy. You know what I mean? Like who couldn't like a guy like Jesus? And this is true. And that reality is probably enough for you and many others to speak kindly of him. I ain't got no problem with Jesus. Most of the people mind me go, yeah, Jesus, he was a cool guy. I don't have a problem with him. But I don't think the fact that he was a great guy is enough for you to make him first place in your heart. Any more than making that guy at your work who everybody likes first place in your heart. I mean, he's a cool guy. You like hanging out with him. But to make him first place in your heart, I don't think so. Well, maybe the fact that Jesus was a great leader is enough. It's especially impressive to think about Jesus being a great leader if you consider the fact that he was born in an insignificant city. What city was he born in? 
three of you get an A+. Plus. All right. Bethlehem. And he grew up in an unimportant group of people. Where did he grow up? Nazareth. So he, he born, was born in an insignificant city among a fairly unimportant group of people, the Nazareans. In fact, when Nathaniel was encouraged by his friend Philip to check out Jesus as a possible Savior, as, a, as the possible Messiah, Nathaniel responds by saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, come on, the guy's from Nazareth. He's a nobody. He was a carpenter as, as his trade prior to being recognized as a rabbi. And most scholars believe that when, we, when, it, when it says that he was a carpenter, it was much like what the kind of carpenter you would find if you were to go to Home Depot and pick up a day laborer. It's a guy that moved from place to place picking up jobs. So the fact that this Jesus, born in an insignificant city, grew up, growing up around a fairly insignificant tribe of people with a very simple trade for work, he be, became a great leader. He, he became the leader of a movement that's lasted for 2,000 years and has somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 billion adherents. Jesus was a great leader. Great leaders are measured by a lot of things, and a few of them are things like relational intelligence. And his relational intelligence was off the charts. You know what that means? Like he had an ability to build a relationship with all the different kinds of people. This is a historical fact. He made friendship with rich city leaders, the poor beggars, the young fishermen, and people from very different cultures. Men, women, adults, children. He had an incredible relational intelligence. He was a great leader. Every great leader has the capacity to inspire people. Jesus inspired people. I think of how he inspired Peter. You know, when he first found Peter, Peter was a hard-headed fisherman. And although Peter made some mistakes during his life, even as he followed Jesus, Peter was the leader of the greatest movement in the history of the world called Christianity. He had an ability to inspire people. Jesus was a great leader because he led by example. A favorite story um, is whenever Jesus, one of the last times that he gathered with his disciples, they were eating a meal together. At the end of the meal, he wanted to demonstrate to them what this movement called Christianity would be like. It was going to be fueled by this attitude of service and servanthood. So he got on his knees and he washed the feet of his closest followers, the dirty, disgusting feet of his followers. As an example of what it means to be a part of this new movement, this kingdom of his. It's going to be fueled by service and servanthood. Jesus was a leader who led by example, not only in that story, but certainly by laying his life down on a cross. Jesus was a great leader. For people in any industry that cares anything about leadership, they certainly would look at Jesus and identify him as being a great leader and things about Jesus worth emulating as a leader. Christian or non-Christian, this happens. And the fact that Jesus was a great leader might be enough for you to find a church to casually attend two times a month. I mean, you like the way of Jesus, right? I mean, who wouldn't like the guy that shows up to parties provide, providing wine and, and has a place in his heart for the outsider? Is he very capable relationally? Who wouldn't like that guy? So it might be enough for you to find a church that talks about Jesus Come to that church a couple times a month and be in the midst of people who also think Jesus is a pretty awesome guy. 
But I don't think that the fact that he was a good leader is enough for you to make him first place in your heart. Is it enough for it to get to you to church? Yes. Is it enough for him to be first place in your heart? No. Because just coming to church isn't enough. That doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is first place in your heart. I, mean, I want you to hear something very clearly. If your understanding of who Jesus is stops at Jesus is a great guy and Jesus was an effective leader, you will never experience what you long for deeply. Never. You know that feeling deep within you for meaning and for purpose, for connection with something that's divine? Merely believing that Jesus is a great guy and that he was an effective leader will not make him first place in your heart. We live in a world filled with people that are trying to fill a void in their hearts by something other than making Jesus first place. Money, achievement, another person. And the tricky thing is that those things work for a moment. They do. Whenever you got for Christmas that thing that you really, really wanted, it was deeply satisfying for a moment. I see this in my own kids. They receive for Christmas most of what they asked for, and they have learned to write out a list. They received for Christmas most of what they asked for, and for the moment they opened it, and they experienced it. It was deeply satisfying. But I'm willing to bet that they could not find half of the things that were a big deal to them a week ago. And that's not because they're spoiled, although they are a little spoiled. The same is true of us. You can satisfy that deep need within you for meaning and purpose and some sort of connection to something larger. Temporarily. By money, achievement, and other people. But what's crushing is when you realize that those things do not last. That's why for some of you, you make more money now than you made 10 years ago, and you're no more happy. You're no more satisfied. You have no more a sense of purpose or meaning in your heart. That's why for some of you, you're in better shape than you've ever been in your life. That would not be me. But yet you, you don't feel satisfied like you thought being, looking a certain way would make you. The only thing that will provide the meaning and the purpose and the sense of connection with the divine is making Jesus Christ first place in your heart. Or you can do what some are trying to do by eliminating every complex thing. One indulgence I had over the break was I watched every episode of this show on National Geographic called Live Free or Die. Raise your hand if you saw, if you've seen that show. <laughs> you should have seen my wife. She was like, I had to watch it because you would not quit watching it. You're like, I was forced to watch it. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, so this show is about... These, these people who are practicing what's supposedly growing in popularity, this movement called rewilding, which is they're leaving sort of the pursuit of leaving work 
and the pursuit of money and uh, industry and the complexity of the cities, and they're moving to the woods, basically living off the land. They're living very simply. They make their own clothes, find their own food, you know, uh, all that kinds of call it. All that, all that stuff. It's a really fascinating show to me because I do like the outdoors. And for a moment, the idea of like, I just live in the woods would be awesome, you know, make my own butter and all kind of stuff. And, um, um, but it's, it's fascinating to watch this show because these people really believe that by being in the woods and eliminating every complexity that comes with society and order and structure and having to work, will provide for them some sort of meaning and purpose and connection to the divine. And, and uh, maybe it does for a moment in their hearts, but the problem is that does nothing to reconcile them to God. It's a problem. We must make Jesus Christ first place in our heart. If we do not, we will be left wanting. This is what I plead with you to understand this morning. The gospel message is that God sent Jesus to die on a cross and raise him from the dead so that you could, in faith, turn towards him, repent of your sin, and become a new person and experience the peace of life with Christ. Be given the hope of eternity. The gospel message is, hey, when you put Jesus Christ as first place in your heart, that you will have meaning, you will have purpose, you will be connected to God. This is hard to understand. It's a fairly mysterious idea. And it's a big ask for me to offer you. And it's much, maybe what you're experiencing is much like what the Colossians felt whenever they were learning about who Jesus is. And so when Paul, a leader in the Christian movement in the first century, wrote a letter to them, there was some confusion as to what exactly was true about who Jesus is. And so Paul begins this letter to the Colossians, and in the first chapter, he he gives them what's the most profoundly beautiful set of verses, or set of words, describing who Jesus is. And I believe that if we will understand this in an increasing measure, that we will be more inclined to make Jesus first place in our hearts. Look here at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is, Jesus is, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus all things Hold together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. You know what preeminent means? First place. This is where the series comes out of. So that in everything he might be first place, including in your heart. For in Jesus all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. In other words, putting other things as first place in your heart. 
Jesus is now reconciled, made right with God in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What in the world do these verses mean? Well, there's just a few things that I want to point out that help carry the message and the meaning of this passage. First of all, this idea in verse 15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, I I realize that not everyone sees Jesus as the image of the invisible God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul tells the Corinthians, because this was true certainly during that day, that in the case of people not seeing Jesus as God, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there are people who will not see Jesus as God, and that will always be the case. But I want you to understand that he is God. Um, this idea that Jesus is the image of the invisible, invisible God. So I have a penny here. It's the last amount of money I have since Christmas. Um, who, who's on the head of the penny? Very, very good. Abraham Lincoln, everybody. Impress your coworkers by knowing that. I, I was holding it upside down. Is that why you didn't know what it was, Tim? Okay, um, so Abraham Lincoln. So, so when I say that this is the image of Abraham Lincoln, that's, that's true, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an image that makes us think of Abraham Lincoln. But is that Abraham Lincoln? No, it's an image of him. Well, when Paul calls Jesus the image of the invisible God, it's not like when we talk about Abraham Lincoln on the penny being an image of the actual Abraham Lincoln. In fact, the meaning of the word is that whenever you see Jesus, you actually see God. He is the image of the invisible God. And so this is our claim about who Jesus is. Jesus is not just a good prophet. He's not just the leader of the movement called Christianity. He's not just a great guy, but he is, in fact, God in the flesh. That's big. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Christ is the embodiment of the Father. If you believe this to be true, you will make Jesus first place in your heart. Verse 15 also says he's the firstborn of all creation. A better word in the English for us is firstborn over creation. This means that Jesus precedes creation, so think time, and is over all creation. Think rank. The, the, the being that became a man that we call Jesus has existed since the beginning. And he is over all things. This is Paul's claim about Jesus, this is our confession and belief. This is why we would make Jesus first place in our hearts. Verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is responsible for creation. He is the one through whom all things came to and by whom all things continue to exist. This is the claim of the Bible. This is our confession. This is why we would make Jesus first place. John chapter 1 verse 3, the apostle says, All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. God the Father made all things through God the Son, who we call Jesus. And all things, it indicates every simple and every complex organism that exists. 
Verse 18. He is the head of the body. When it says here the body, it refers to the invisible and universal church. So all Christians, all places, Jesus is the leader of this movement. He is the head of the body. We will make him first place in our church. I'm not the head of this body. Jesus is. He is the firstborn from the dead, verse 18. He was the first one to be raised into an immortal body at the resurrection. That's what we'll celebrate at Easter. Jesus was raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who fall asleep. In other words, those that are dead. This is significant because the resurrection of Christ gives us the hope of a resurrection into eternity with God. That's enough to make him first place in our hearts. Verse 19 says that in Jesus is the fullness of God. I pray that this will just wash over you and you will believe. He is the fullness of God. Paul repeats this again in chapter 2, verse 9, for he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in Jesus you have been made complete. Jesus is fully God, while at the same time being fully man. His divinity connects God to us. His humanity connects us to him. God's glory is fully seen in and through Jesus Christ, which is why we lift up Jesus and exalt him, believing that if we lift up Jesus, that people will see God and people will be drawn to God. Jesus is the great reconciler. People are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He is the way to have our sins forgiven, to have our old ways, our old patterns of evil behavior um, crushed. Jesus is the reconciler. So, so much I know for you to try to comprehend, and it's big, and if you fully understood it, you would in fact be God. But I believe that these truths, as Paul's explaining them to Colossians, and we read them as if they were written for us, help us, compel us to make Jesus first place in our hearts. That's where we must start. I'm going to talk in the next few weeks about the first place in your week and the first place in in how you spend your time and how you spend your money and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, all of that will be very surface um, touches unless we really begin to understand what it means to make Jesus first place in our hearts. I want to wake up thinking about today belongs to Jesus Christ. How can I serve him today for the glory of God and for the good of people? It's so hard to understand, but I pray that God will give you understanding through his spirit. You say, well, where where does it begin? I mean, how do I do this? Well, I, I think that it begins very simply with the prayer. It's not uncommon for you to pray about something that you do not completely understand. If you've ever prayed for your spouse, you're praying for something you don't completely understand, you know? If you ever prayed for your children or your ability to parent or maybe something at your job. So this is another one of those areas where you'll pray about something that you do not completely understand or comprehend. But 
the first step in making first, Jesus first place in your heart is saying to God something like this, God, I want to make Jesus first place in my heart. Help me to do it. Call it a profession of faith or prayer of salvation, becoming a Christian, rededicating your life, whatever you want to do, just, just do it. That's where it all begins. It's our desire that we will, as a church, make Jesus first place in our church, which is why I start the new Sunday, the first Sunday of the new year, talking mostly about who Jesus is. Because we want to make him first place. And for some of you, you longed for Jesus to be first place in your life, but you got so much other crap in your life that it has created some confusion. It's it's like muddied the waters. I mean, you want it, but there's so many other layers of, of things in your life. And maybe for you, what you need to do is join us this month as we go through a period of... Um, kind of renewal and cleansing. I'm inviting you to join uh, Jeannie and I in what we did last year and we'll do every January for as long as I'm pastor of this church uh, called the Daniel Fast. Now, the idea of fasting is probably new to some of you, but very simply, the word fast means to cover the mouth. And there's a story in the book of Daniel where we read about the type of fast we're going to do, and I'm not going to explain it all now because uh, it's um, very simple, and I want you to take the time to go read it. But I want to invite you to join us in a fast. And simply, what we're going to do is this 21-day fast, which will be a time where we eat only fruits, vegetables, and some whole grains, And uh, in that, what we're hoping God does is draws us closely to him and also kind of renews our body. I don't know about you, but my body is reeling um, from abuse through desserts in the last three months. (laughs) Can I get a witness up in this place? So so this is another reason. It's it's a spiritual renewal. It's a physical renewal. It's it's a time of focus. Um, It's funny because... Last night, we were sitting around the dinner table, and of course, our kids have been listening to Jeannie and I talk about the season of fast and how it's going to affect the way we eat at home, and, and, uh, and so Price, my six-year-old, hears me say, we're going to eat differently, and so he, he says, well, what do you mean? And he takes his fork, and he like sticks it in his cheek, and he like, eat differently like this? Like, no, no, there's only one way to actually eat your food. It's through your mouth. Um, and so we had an opportunity to explain to him we're going to eat differently and in our bodies longing for things that we're not eating and that oftentimes can be harmful to us. Um, we're going to ask God to fill us up and to meet us there and to draw us into him. So I realized that, for, especially for those of you that never even heard about the idea of fasting, um, it might sound kind of strange, but I invite you in. If you choose not to do it, you're still loved, you're still welcome, all that kind of stuff. We're not making this about who's really serious about Christianity, who's not, but I invite you to participate. Um, It's going to be a good time. So we're sending out a bunch of stuff via email. If you've been getting those emails, then uh, just read. We're trying not to complicate it too much. You can actually go on Pinterest, type in. I'm not on Pinterest. My wife is. Um, Just for the record, I didn't want to lose my man card right there. Um, Uh, You can type in Daniel Fast, and you can get all kinds of recipes, all kinds of plans, and the food's not terrible, so it's not like the worst thing. It'll be good for you, I guess is what I'm saying. So maybe for you, making Jesus Christ first place would be helped along by committing yourself to this 21-day period. At the end of 21 days, we'll gather together like we do every year for what we call a vision dinner, 
that's going to be on January the 25th, where we get to hear from the leadership kind of what we're doing this year and where we're going. We celebrate what happened in 2014, and so that's all a part of this. We want to be very focused on making Jesus first place in our hearts as individuals and in our church because we believe God has something in special, special in store for us this year. Making Jesus first place also affects other areas of our life. When we make him first place, it affects how we think about our money and how we think about our time and how we think about relationships. And those are the kinds of things that I'm going to talk about in the next few weeks. And so I hope you'll join me. One last illustration, and then we'll take communion together. Years ago, there was a very wealthy man who, with his devoted young son, shared a passion for art collecting. Together, they traveled around the world, and they added to their art collection fine art treasures. These priceless works of art by Picasso, Van Gogh, and Monet. They begin to fill the walls of the family estate. Winter approached, war engulfed the nation, and the young man had to leave his father to serve his country. After a few short weeks his father received a telegram. It's a message that no father with a son at war wants to hear. His beloved son was missing. Distraught and lonely, the old man whose wife had already passed faced the upcoming holiday with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season, the season that he and his son looked forward to each year would be different. Well, on Christmas morning, there was a knock on his door. It awakened this old, depressed man. As he walked to the door, he had a visitor. He was greeted by this soldier. It was not his son, but the soldier had in hand a large package. And he introduced himself to the man, saying, I was a friend of your son. I was the one who he was rescuing when he died. May I come in? Of course, the old man let this soldier in. They began to visit as the soldier looked around this estate and saw all these priceless works of art. He felt kind of funny because he had a gift for the old man. The gift was a painting of this man's son. This soldier, too, was an artist. Nowhere near the artists of Monet or Van Gogh but an artist nonetheless. He gave this painting of this man's son to him, and this man received it in tears. It became so precious to him, he hung it over the mantle, moving aside all these other works of art so that he could gaze upon the beauty of this son. The world would never consider this piece of art as genius, but this man saw this picture of this boy for what it meant, who he was. So the stories over the years of this man's son and all of the brave things that he had done as a soldier reached his father and his pride began to swell. But he grew old and he passed. And frankly, the art world was anticipating this old man's passing because of all the art that he had and they knew that it would go to auction. Well, the day came for these collectors to gather and to look at all these Portraits or all these paintings, and they had lists 
of what paintings he had and were anticipating the purchase of these things. There was one painting not on the list, and as you can guess, it was a painting of this, this man's son. And the man had asked prior to dying that, uh, that this would be the first painting sold. The people did not like it. They wanted to bid on these priceless works of art, but they, they relented. So finally, someone said, okay, who will give $10 for this painting? From the back, somebody just to move forward said, I'll give $10 for this old painting. When the painting sold, the crowd cheered. And the auctioneer paused. And said, the auction is over. The people were stunned. What about all these other paintings? What about all these other priceless works of art? And the auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever makes the Son first place gets it all. My heart for you today is that you will understand that to live the kind of life you want and God offers, Jesus Christ must be first place. If you make them first place, you'll get it all. Let's pray together.